Good evening, Elko. It's time for Midweek Bible Study. My name is Tom Baker, pastor of Elko Baptist Church. And in just a minute, we will be uh, sharing a, a brand new series with you from ashes to glory. Uh, so go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and have it available. And we'll be looking at Luke chapter 3 this evening. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us. Uh, Father, as, uh, as I have looked out the window earlier today, the, the sun is bright here, and we, we thank you for um, the warmth of the sun and for the, the changing of seasons. Father, as, um, as we think about things in the world, we're reminded uh, that your mercy is new every morning, that you remain faithful to us no matter what is going on, and that faithfulness is great. And we thank you for those things. Father, we ask that you would help us to open your word tonight, that you would be the one who teaches us through the power of your Holy Spirit about your Son, Jesus. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 3 tonight, and as a matter of fact, in just a moment, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3. Uh, I know this is a slight departure for us because we've been in the Old Testament for a great deal of time uh, over the last several months, but we're going to look, look at Luke chapter 3, um, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 and then skip down to verses 21 and 22. Okay, beginning in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Triconius, um, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight, every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be made low, the crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who had come out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And skipping down to verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this, his word. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Another proof of the conquest of the soul for Christ will be found in a real change of life. If the man does not live differently from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. You know, the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles all used a word that we translate repentance that means return or turn and go. It's not a word of feeling, but of action. It's essential that we get this point right if we're going to understand what the Bible means by repentance. We don't repent by taking a deep breath and then we feel better. We must do something. You repent only when you turn your back on your sin and turn around and go back to God. It doesn't make any difference how you feel. You can have the feeling, or you may not have the feeling. What's essential is that you do something. The call to repentance is not a call to feel the remorse of your sins. It's a call to turn around so that God can do something with those sins. Now, as we move toward Resurrection Sunday, beginning tonight, we need to first come to grips with our need for repentance. So what does this passage say? Well, there are three things that we see here in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we see that John comes from the wilderness preaching repentance and the good news. We see Jesus being baptized, and then at the end of the chapter, we see um, a genealogy of Jesus. So what does this passage say? I mean, what does this passage mean, rather? Well, first of all, we see John's baptism. And we see that in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And the principle here is baptism means to identify with. We identify with our sin so that we can identify with Jesus' forgiveness of our sin. You know, in the case of Jewish proselyte baptism, a, a, a ceremonial washing of those who were coming out of uh, Gentile paganism and coming into Judaism, that signified identification of the proselyte with Judaism. In the case of John's baptism, it expressed identification with the company of the repentant. In the case of Jesus' baptism, it represents identification with um, his identification with humankind. In the case of Christian baptism, that baptism represents uh, an identification with Jesus Christ and his church. So John's ministry consisted of preparing the Jews that would listen to him so that they could be ready to receive the Messiah as he came and to be ready to follow that Messiah, who was Jesus Christ. Next, we see John's preaching, and we see that in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. And the principle here is repentance leads to a different way of thinking and acting. Now, essentially, John called his hearers to change their minds about their relationship to God. And to demonstrate 
the genuineness of this change of mind and heart, this repentance, with righteous conduct. Now, notice first that righteous behavior would prove true repentance. Look at verses 7 to 9. John mentions vipers. Those are poisonous desert snakes. And when there is a brush fire in the desert, those snakes try to get away from that fire. So what John is saying is that the Jews that were coming to him were doing the same thing as those vipers would do if there was a brush fire in the desert. They were getting away from God's judgment that was to come. And they're coming to John for baptism to demonstrate their change of heart. And so he tells them, first, he tells to the real repenters, those who were sincere about their their desire to change in the crowd, he tells them that they will prove their repentance by being generous and sharing with those who are in need. To the rebels in the crowd, you see that in verses 12 and 13, those tax collectors who were sincere in their repentance, that they would refrain from taking extra taxes to meet their own needs and only take what was necessary. Now here John advocates honesty and freedom from greed. You also see the the rascals or the bullies in the crowd. You see that in verse 14. Because of their position, soldiers were capable of threatening people or bullying people in order to get money. You know, think about the, the school bully that would get lunch money from, uh, from kids in the day. So John called on them to demonstrate contentment with what they were paid instead of trying to get people to give them money or demanding that people give them money. And finally, here we see John's role. We see that in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. And the principle here is that John understands he is to point people to Jesus, and he does so. Notice first John's ministry. We see that in verses 15 to 20. Now, John distinguished between his baptism and Messiah's baptism to show that he was not the Messiah. Different Gospels do that in different ways. Luke does that here. John's water baptism prepared people for the coming of the Messiah. And and what John says here is that it's preparing them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus will give. John wanted his hearers to understand that there was no other way. Either they were going to be baptized in repentance in preparation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus would bring, or they would face the fire of the Lord's judgment. But, you know, as negative as as that may seem, there's also a positive side to John's preaching because he preached the good news, what we call the gospel, to people, as well as warning them about the coming judgment. Also notice Jesus' baptism. Now, Luke only has two verses, verses 21 and 22, that give an account of Jesus' baptism. But we also see a couple of things we don't see in any of the other reports. First of all, we see that Jesus was praying when the Holy Spirit came upon him. But here we also see that Jesus received the anointing of the Holy Spirit for his ministry. 
And we see that Jesus said to, uh, Jesus received God's word that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So how do I apply these principles to my life? In this episode, this first episode of From Ashes to Glory, John the Baptist teaches us repentance, restitution, and replenishment. Notice first, John the Baptist teaches us repentance. Now, there's a young man named Jack, and Jack received as a gift a parrot. Now, this parrot had a problem. It had a really bad attitude and a really bad mouth to go with it. Um, its vocabulary was atrocious. Um, it, it cursed. It was rude and crude and obnoxious. Um, Jack tried and tried and tried to change the, the bird's attitude. Uh, he would only say polite words around the bird. Uh, he would play soft music for the bird. Um, and he could do anything he could think of to help the bird clean up his vocabulary. But finally, after all that failed, Jack had just had enough. And so Jack yelled at the bird. And the bird yelled back at Jack. Jack picked the bird up and shook it. And that only made the bird angrier and cruder. And so finally, out of his desperation, Jack took the bird and threw it in the freezer. And you can imagine what happened after that. There was a few minutes of, of the bird squawking and screaming and kicking. And there was all kinds of noise. And then there was silence. There was not a peep. Jack got kind of concerned. Maybe the bird had died in there. And so he quickly opened the door to the freezer. He put out his arm. And the bird came out of the freezer and jumped on Jack's arm. And it said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I am sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions. And I fully intend to do everything I can do to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Well, you can imagine that Jack was stunned by the bird's change in attitude. As he was, a, uh, as he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in, in the bird's attitude and behavior, the bird continued, May I ask what the turkey did? So what does the Lord need to do to get us to repent? Well, listen to these words from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness... We are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
In other words, if we're willing to say the same things about our sin, our transgression of the law, our breaking of the law, if we're willing to, to tell the Lord what we've done, to reject those things, to turn from those things, and to turn to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, we will be forgiven. So John the Baptist teaches us about repentance and also teaches us about restitution. Now, John the Baptist's words describe not only what the, the people must do to be saved, but what happens once they have repented and are following Christ. What shall we do, the people ask. You know, restitution begins with a sense of our own contentment, grounded in our peace with God in Christ. Restitution moves us from an inward focus, a, a clutching what's in it for me attitude toward an outward focused, Christ-honoring desire to serve others. Restitution also moves us from wanting to protect our turf, get our own way, and get what's coming to us, and moves us to a place where we know Jesus meets our needs and will use us to meet the needs of others also. So how do we get there? John the Baptist says, just do it. Jason Brown is a remarkable young man. By the age of 26, he was living the dream of so many American males by playing offensive center for a professional football team. In fact, he was the highest paid center in the history of the NFL, which means he was very good at it. You know, in spite of having reached this pinnacle, Jason felt a pull to do something more. As a deep man of faith in Christ, Jason's soul-searching led him to walk away from the NFL and a $35 million contract with the St. Louis Rams. He followed God's calling to be a farmer. Now, Jason, the only thing Jason knew about farming was when he had helped his grandfather out in an urban farm setting, an urban garden setting, rather, um, so many years ago. But despite the risks and what he didn't know and the disbelief of his peers, this 27-year-old pillar of courage stepped out in faith and began searching for land not far, not far from his hometown in Lewisburg, North Carolina. Through some unexplained turn of events, he and his wife, Tay, acquired a thousand acres, which they chose to name the First Fruits Farm. And this name was uh, born out of a covenant Jason had made with God, that the first fruits, the first thing that his farm produced, would be given to God and could be used by God. And so... They began the journey by learning to plant and care for what became their first crop of over 120,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. Now, once they came in, they had another problem. That is, how in the world are they going to harvest all these sweet potatoes? Once again, Jason put the task before the Lord, and the Lord had an answer in an unexpected phone call from the Society of St. Andrew that was a network of volunteers in North Carolina 
They volunteered to come in and um, harvest the leftovers so that they could uh, give those to local food banks. But Jason said, hey, I need the help. You come in. You're welcome to, to take all 120,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. And they did. To date, First Fruit Farms has provided over 850,000 pounds of sweet potatoes and cucumbers to those in need. Jason and Tay heard the call, and they just did it. Have you ever felt the Lord calling you to do something that seemed impossible? Trust Him and move forward in faith and just do it. So John the Baptist teaches us repentance, restitution, and replenishment. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are light for the world. A city cannot be hidden when it is located on a hill. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, everyone who lights a lamp puts it on a lampstand. Then its light shines on everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in front of people. Then they will see the good that you do and praise your Father in heaven. You know, when writer Robert Fulham tells the story of one of his professors, a man named Alexander Papadaris, who once taught Fulham, a two-week course in Greek culture. Toward the end of that session, that last session, his his professor opened the floor for questions. Uh, Fulham boldly asked, Dr. Papadoris, what is the meaning of life? After a few moments, Papadoris pulled his wallet from his pocket, removed a tiny quarter-sized mirror, and replied, When I was a small child, during World War II, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken piece of a mirror. You see, a German motorcycle had wrecked there. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible. So I kept only the largest piece, this one. And by scratching it on a stone, I made it round. I began to play uh, with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine, in deep holes, in crevices, and uh, in dark closets. It became a game for me to, to get light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I went about growing up, I would, from time to time, take it out during those idle moments and continue the game of trying to shine the light in, in dark places. And I became aware that this was becoming a metaphor for my life's work. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but the light, truth, understanding, and knowledge, is there and it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it there. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the true light, which gives light to everyone. 
Throughout the New Testament, the followers of Jesus are called lights in the darkness. So this means that to be a light in the world, we need to be countercultural. We live in a dark world full of lies, hate, confusion, but God's word tells us to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 12. While others are chasing after physical pleasures and selfish gain, we are commanded to live in a different way, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13, 14. Secondly, we, we need to put ourselves out there. Jesus said, let your light shine before others. He explained that no one lights a lamp just to hide it under a basket. Whether you're timid or outgoing, you're called to be a light to the people that are around you. That's only possible if you're taking time to interact with people and to cultivate relationships. And thirdly, we need to always be pointing back to the light source. When Jesus said, let your light shine before others, that wasn't the whole sentence. He went on to give reasons why it's important to shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our goal should never be to bring recognition to ourselves, but to always bring glory to God. So the bottom line is this. John the Baptist teaches us repentance, restitution, and replenishment. We started by quoting Charles Spurgeon. I'll end in the same way. He said, faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. I want you to think about that, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to share together. Thank you for these that have been watching. I pray that you would use this time to... Um, to encourage, to challenge, to build up, and to cause us to repent, seek to, um, to just do works of repentance, and to shine our lights in dark places. Again, Father, thank you for your word. May it not return to you void as you promise, even in the lives of these that are watching this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. May the God of peace be with you all.